Welcome to Cross Training, where we look at faith and practice in a biblical lens to help start conversations in a Christ-like manner. I'm your host, Tanner Higgins. And I'm your host, Matthew Thompson. We hope that you will join us in our goal to make every part of God's Word practical in today's culture. So today we have another interview-style episode where we're talking to two of our very good friends, Julia Lee and... Anthony Bilbrey. Antoine is what we call him. Yep. Uh, sticking with the uh, the overall theme of unity, we're going to be talking about how that functions um, like in missions. I mean, missions is... I mean, it's a big deal of Christianity for obvious reasons. There's the, the Great Commission, which we'll get uh, pretty heavy into Scripture throughout this episode. But it's obviously something we hold near and dear to our hearts. And mm-hmm. Antoine, well, Anthony, I'm going to be calling you Antoine. That's so okay. <laughs> this is Antoine Bilbrey. Uh, Anthony and Julia are both actively out doing mission work pretty uh, pretty regularly. Tanner as well, so you'll have plenty of input as well. But we're just going to get down and talk about missions and the relevance that it has with unity. So, I, well, first off, if you all want to introduce yourselves beyond a name, you can feel free if you have a short testimony prepared or something of the sort. Anthony, if you want to. We're going alphabetical here. Sure. Uh, like uh, like you said, I'm Anthony Bilbrey. I'm 23, and uh, I answered the call to missions a couple of years ago. And uh, I'm not a full-time missionary. kind of do some part-time things in Haiti. And uh, what I do for a living is I'm a welder. And uh, I've actually been fortunate enough to do a lot of that in Haiti and take that talent that the Lord has given me to use for his kingdom. So that's a lot of the things that I've done. I've been to Haiti uh, three times, and uh, every time I've been, we've had several projects that we've done and things like that. Um, I'm Julia Lee. I'm 25. Um, I'm a social worker, um, and kind of my, we'll get into later how I got involved in missions, but um, like Anthony, I've been to Haiti between 13 and 14 times um so i just enjoy being able to develop a relationship with people around the world and so i'm excited to be a guest awesome well we kind of we they introduced ourselves a little bit you know and uh uh, i know they feel kind of awkward they've never been behind a mic they've been on stages (laughs) and they've talked a little bit at haiti in front of churches and stuff like that Uh, uh but we're going to get into it. You know, this is candid, open conversation. Uh, but to kind of before we start into it, you know, we have the word missions and talking a little bit. What exactly is missions? Um, and when we talk about missions, what is what exactly are we talking about? You know, that's kind of the thing. The reason why we're, we're meeting together with y'all is like we think that missions is a key ingredient to bring unity back in the church, bringing unity with people all around the world. Now, if we look at Scripture, I think this is interesting. If you look in Scripture, you see all these, you know, fancy schmancy words. You know, you see words as uh, sacrament and justification and gospel. But did you know that God, the, the word missions is not mentioned in Scripture at all? Mm-hmm. Not at all. So it's like where in the world does this concept of the Christian church being missional come from? Uh, but in a, a really good book that I've kind of picked at a little bit uh, is, by, is uh, What is the Mission of the Church by Kevin DeYoung. And he quickly puts it saying that the mission is synonymous for living a faithful Christian lifestyle. And in the book, he, he quoted a guy named uh, Stephen Neal. And this guy, he says, if everything is mission, 
then nothing is mission. So he's saying that there's a lot of people that take, okay, well, we, we name this mission. We name the people that going over to Haiti is a mission. We name those that have been called to preach. Oh, that's a mission for me. Teaching, singing, even a prayer warrior, that's a type of mission. And so this guy, uh, Stephen Neal, he's made that comment. It's like, well, if everything is called mission, then that's lost its meaning. It's lost its power behind it. But Kevin DeYoung, he contrasts that. He's saying, well, if everything is mission, then everything is mission. So it's like, why would, why, why would we put these in categories and, and, and lose the meaning? If everything, if we're called to do a mission for God's work, then that's a mission to do God's work, even if it's welding or loving on children or teaching, preaching, or whatever it is in Haiti or in Cookville or in New York, uh, which Matthew talked about, that he had that missional experience in New York. Wherever it's at, whoever it's to, it's a mission that we have been called to do. And so I want to read a little bit of Scripture to start off with. Uh, We'll be reading out of the New King James today. We'll be reading out of Acts chapter 2. I want to read verses 41 through 47. And this is where I see that everything that we do as Christians, that we've been called to do something, is missional. Everything that we do. So in Acts chapter 2, this is the start of the church. I mean, you know, the day of the Pentecost and and Peter, they've preached that, you know, the 3,000 were saved. So this is what happened. This is the call. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. So we've got that commonality, that unity right there. So everyone believed and had something in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as they had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread. So we've got communion. We've got this fellowship from house to house. They ate their food and with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily, those who were being saved. So right at the start, we have a mission call to fellowship one with another, to have something in common, to have this helping hand to the people in the community and have a helping hand and basically having favor with the people by the what you do. Because I know in Haiti, we'll talk about it later, they've got dozens of ministries to help the broken community. And I think that y'all have experienced that firsthand uh, by, especially you, Anthony, with the with the welding benches and uh, building gates and stuff for churches and uh, uh, church communities. I'd like to add one bit of scripture to the pile there. Add it. Wait, you're not supposed to add to or take away. Well, you know, I'm adding. To, <laughs> you're I'm adding, adding to the, the scripture. Go to ahead. The pile go ahead. Sorry. 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 Um, I was reading the book of John the other day, and this kind of relates more to the unity part of what we're talking about missions. So it's still relevant, but not like precisely mission-based. But this is out of John chapter 17, uh, when Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane before he was arrested. I'm going to read verses 20 through 22. It says, I do not pray for these alone, but but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me, and I in you that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. So Jesus' wax is pretty poetic in those the scriptures, and it's kind of easy to get tripped up over all the um, poetic terms that he's using in there. But just that whole idea of us being one with him as he is with the Father, like that's, I mean, that's just a beautiful metaphor to me. Well, I wouldn't say metaphor, comparison. 
relationship-wise. Though, like, so I mean, one of the goals of mission work is to get that unity out there beyond just like in your local church and make taking it more uh, to a global scale. Anyone who will believe can enter into the family mm-hmm. and have that unity. And you know, with the everyone being called to this mission, any kind of mission that Jesus proclaims, proclaiming the name of, of the gospel and proclaiming that Jesus is the Son of God died on the cross for our sins, rose again the third day, and he's coming again, you know, the Nicene Creed type deal thing, that this is a mission that every one of us is, has, once we become a Christian, that this call has been placed upon us. But for the sake of what we're doing here is that how can global missions bring unity? So that's why we have our, our, our good, good friends with us to talk about it, because they're, they're the ones that have been dived a little bit more deeper than to those that have not. So to y'all, what do missions mean to y'all? I think it's a kind of a broad spectrum. It can look different depending on what your skill set is. I mean, I would say that my call to missions would be different than Anthony's would be different to Tanner's and Matthew's. Um, So one thing that I think a lot of people don't think about when they think of missions, you know, I don't feel comfortable going up to somebody's door and knocking on Mm -hmm. their door and saying, you know, do you know about Jesus? But those of us that are blessed with other things, you know, so what me and my family would basically, I would say would be our, what we're able to do with missions is, you know, financially helping people who are going door to door or are able to, you know, we're able to support the missionaries, we're able to support missions in Haiti. So I think that there's a lot of things that go unseen, um, you know, and just kind of backing up the people that are doing those things. Um, and so I think anything to do with missions that's positively impacting the kingdom would be what missions is to me. And I think that we're all called to it, obviously, and everybody has their own purpose in it. You mm-hmm. know, like you said, some people it might be financially. Some people it may just be prayer. You know, praying for mission work and things like that because it's outreach. It's global outreach is what it is. And we're all called for outreach. And whether that's, you know, to love someone or to be there for someone or supply a need that they may have spiritually, physically, I feel like that's what we're called for. And I don't think we need to have, we don't need to, I think we need to be careful because there's some that would say, oh, I'm a missionary and place their status as superior than the prayer warrior or I'm a preacher so I'm all more important I have more kingdom work than than the one that's doing offering on Sunday mornings and that's not the case at all and I, and uh, we we talked about it me and Matthew talked about it late earlier that each body member of the body of Christ has a different function but yet they all work harmoniously together right. and missions no matter how big or how small it is if it's internal through will or if it's external through Haiti or Israel, it doesn't matter. It's still kingdom work that if it's a pinky toe or an elbow, they're both functional in the body of Christ. Uh, so what exactly is the purpose in, like, say, personally experiencing uh, the mission, missions in, as in Haiti missions or as in the missions that you've seen done here in the States or outside of States? What is the purpose that you've seen? I would say unity. I mean, I feel like that's the biggest purpose, to bring everybody together in the body of Christ, like you said. 
Now, that's a, an interesting answer to me because, I mean, I know that, like, the whole theme of this season being unity, uh, anyone listening has heard that word about five billion times come out of someone's mouth. How about a five billion and one more? Let's do it. There we go. Come on. But even though we're kind of beating that dead horse of the word unity, um, that word might not be the first that comes to, like, the average person's mind when it comes to uh, reaching potential believers. So... In my mind, and this might just be the cynic in me, I think that when people think of individuals getting saved, they, they treat it. A lot of people might not personally themselves treat it as fire insurance, as people like to, to throw around that term. Uh, but I think people are quick to assume that other people view it as fire insurance. So what, like, what do you mean, Anthony, when you say unity? Well, I mean, we're called to share Christ with the world. And through that, it brings unity. I mean... And that even extends to we may be ministering to people that are already believers. You know, we we may supply something that can help them physically so that they can minister to someone else as well. Mm-hmm. And that brings unity. You know, everybody's together. Everybody's in the same boat working together for one goal. Yeah. Okay. And I think that, I mean, with, you know, with us being involved in Haiti, I would have, like, without Christ, I would have zero reason to go to Haiti. I would have zero in common with these people that live in Haiti that are literally living in a different world than we do. But those of us that have gone down there, whether it's one time or 50 times, you form those lifelong relationships, and Christ is what creates unity. I mean, again, we have nothing in common with them. Our school systems Mm -hmm. are different. Our health care is different. Our Economy is different. Everything is so different, but the common bond that we have is Christ. So I think, I mean, no matter where you are in the world or stateside, anything, that that's what brings people together. And I see that stateside all the time. And I'll just, on a side note here, I'll say this. Within our group, we're all very different personalities, very different interests in life. But there's one, I mean, I wouldn't even know you guys if it wasn't for my relationship with Christ. Yeah. You know? And I, I totally agree that, you know, missions, the key thing is to bring that, bring back unity. You know, that should be the, the thing that we should bring back, you know. Uh, you know, forget about the 80s. Let's bring, let's bring unity back. And I think that's the sole purpose of missions is to bring what was broken back. And, you know, I, I think that's one of the best ways to get into touch with what God has designed is to get in touch with other cultures and share the bonding agent of Jesus. Uh, but, you know, we talk about missions and we talk about what God has called us to do. But what, what's influenced you all the most when it comes to missions? Has it been scripture? Has it been people? Has it been just your personal conviction of the Holy Spirit? Uh, what exactly has uh, drawn you to missions? What about you, Julie? What about you first? Um, my dad's been involved in missions my whole life. So when he's gone to Russia one time before, um, but he started going to Haiti when I was five years old. So growing up hearing about missions and also I mean stateside my parents modeling to me you know being being there for people being willing to help and listen for God's calling to you know if you feel that you know you should pay for their meal or Mm -hmm. go talk to that person send them that text message whatever so I would definitely say it's people and then scripture just backs that up and pushes the importance of it oh me personally I feel that it was conviction from the Holy Spirit because I had no knowledge of missions 
I mean, I was, I became a Christian when I was 14, so I wasn't raised around those things. And the more I learned about them, the more convicted I became. Mm-hmm. And of course that rose fear and just kind of a sad testimony, you know, that, that made me very fearful and I did not want to do that. I did not. And of course I eventually, you know, surrendered to the Lord and accepted that. And he's given me strength through that. And I just think that it was a spiritual conviction for me that opened my eyes to something far more important that's going on in the world than what might just be my daily routine or just what's going on right here. Even though, I mean, we can be missionaries here, we can be missionaries there anywhere. Mm -hmm. But I feel called internationally, really. I really feel convicted in that sense. And I think it's interesting, I mean, listen to him tell that, which I've heard his testimony, but I think, you know, looking at, if you're just looking at me and Anthony, just the way God works differently, I mean, when I went to Haiti the first time, I wasn't, you know, I was just going because two of my best friends were going and daddy was interested in it, you know, whatever, and one of the last nights there, I remember laying in bed and it was kind of one of, I had the thought of, you know, dad's so in love with Haiti and I could take it or leave it, you know, I don't Mm. really care if I ever come back again like it's great but you know I can do without it so um I remember praying then and even coming back you know if God if you want me to have a heart for this you're gonna have to give it to me because I mean it's not impressive you know and I think it's so I think that just goes to show like how God works differently and Mm -hmm. sometimes you gotta sometimes you gotta go be willing to go even if it's not a strong desire God's called everybody to do it so you have to get out of your out of your comfort zone and try to I don't know kind of find it on your own with God and uh, we talk about Haiti all the time but yet that's the commonality between us is that we've all been to Haiti uh, but the thing is I think it comes down to what was your heart and intention of going you know where was your your headspace or your heart space when you went and I think the reason why God blesses those that do go to missions and they receive a greater gift or calling is because they are willing to be obedient in, in what Christ has told them to do. Because I know that I was called to preach when I, when I first went to Haiti. And it was one of those experiences that I was called to preach. But then later on, it was, I was kind of running from it. And then at, there was a point in time where God was like, the Holy Spirit uh, convicted me. He was like, you know, either you're going to answer the call to preach or I'm going to stop calling you. And that's a scary place to be when you have that feeling okay he's going to stop calling me to do what just preaching or everything and I want to be within God's will and I think that's what y'all are basically stating is that to be in missions is to be in God's will and to God's will is for unity and to bring prosperous things to God's community which is not Cokeville community is not just Haiti community it's not just the community in Japan or North Korea, it's the world as a whole, the church as a whole, and we should reach for complete unity with, with, with God in His creation. All right, well, let's take this opportunity to get back into Scripture. That's been more than 40 seconds since we read God's word, and that's too stinking much. Too long, so, man. We gotta get so to Tanner, it. if you want to read from Isaiah, I think we have some scripture lined yes. up for there. So to give you a little context here uh, with Isaiah, the nation of Israel 
is needing to hear God's word. The nation of Israel is needing to hear the truth by what God is uh, uh, wanting to reach to them. So Isaiah, he is a up-and-coming prophet, and here he's talking, God is talking with Isaiah in starting in verse 8 of chapter 6. It says, Also I heard a voice of the Lord saying, so is Isaiah hearing God, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And then he said, God said, Go and tell the people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. So God, he comes and he asks Isaiah, he asks of him, it's like, so who's going to go? Who's going to do this? And Isaiah, in faith, says, well, kind of a scary statement of, here I am, send me. It's kind of like a uh, you're in school and uh, the teacher asks a question. I mean, no one's going to raise their hand because you know the teacher's going to call on you. So here God is. He's asking a question to to Isaiah. And he's just like, okay, I guess I've, I'll answer. He says, oh, here I am, send me. So knowing that the scripture is, is important to Isaiah, I think this transcends through time and it answers to us too. I think that this same call is to us as well. Who's going to go? Who's going to proclaim the gospel? Who's going to proclaim this news? Who's going to be the messenger? And I think that most people that have answered that call, they have answered, they have answered that same way. It's like, okay, Lord, here I am. Use me. Send me. So what does it mean to you, to you guys that knowing that the Lord has a different job for everyone, but it's up to the individual to answer the call? So it's up to you. So what does that mean? Is that just okay, well, am I just special or am I not special or is it to everybody? What does that mean to y'all? Well, so if When he says it's up to us, that plays back into obedience. Mm. And the Lord offers us a gift and whether we want to accept that or not is up to us. I mean, that's free will. Mm-hmm. And I think that... Um, because because that and when you show obedience to that, God blesses that, and oh, yes. and that's not why we do it. We do it because we're supposed to, because God asks us of it, and He deserves that praise. Right. I think obedience is key. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think obedience, and I think the Lord does bless the obedience. And when we say obedience, it's not like a begrudging, like I clean my room. I think it's right. because we love God. We want to do what He says. And obedience is out of love. Yes, absolutely, yeah. because. If God asks us of anything, we should do it, absolutely, because we love Him. Mm-hmm. And I think that's when, like, the word obedience and obey has lost its meaning in the trans- English translation. That it's we see obedience as a uh, oppressive manner instead of a loving manner. I mean, it is a privilege. I mean, it really just comes down to like God's going to get the glory. It's just up to you to answer the call to be the one that gets to seize that opportunity to do it. Like, it's a privilege to be able to give him glory. I mean, I'm pretty sure I can safely say that Anthony and Julia and Tanner as well, like, none of you have ever gone on a mission trip and afterwards been like, man, I'm so glad that's over. Like that, mm. no, never again. Never. It, it blesses you just as much as you bless everyone that you're going out and witnessing to and doing work for. Because at the end of the day, you're doing that work for the Lord. You're giving him glory that he's due. And that's a privilege to be able to right. take part in it. And we should take notice in that, you know, who are we that God would even ask us to mm, do something for him? Yeah, yeah it's a two-way you know? thing, for, definitely. And I know there's some, like in uh, Paul, he tells Timothy, uh, you know, let them not despise your youth. And I know that we're all young. Mm-hmm. We're all under the age of 30. 
uh, and but we shouldn't allow age be a difference uh, to downtrod us. It's like, well, I'm just not experienced as some of these older uh, individuals. But, you know, the Lord can still use us no matter what capabilities or tools that we have to give. We, the obedience is there. If, if we're willing to obey the Lord and His will to go into missions, to weld, to weld a gate, or to pop popcorn for little five-year-old <laughs> Haitian children, uh, which is a fun thing to do, uh, big old kettle, love mm-hmm. it. Uh, if you're obedient in that, God's going to bless it. God's going to truly bless it. And I think Tanner made mention earlier when talking about answering the call to preach, you know, that you felt, I think you said you felt God telling you, if you don't answer, I'm going to ask somebody else. Or did you say? Yes and yes. Okay. So, and that reminds me, a different podcast I was listening to, you know, a lady was sharing her testimony. And I think that that is and should be a scary thing to Christians knowing that, like Matthew said, God's will will be done. Whether we like it or not, we can either be involved in it or not. He asks mm. us to be involved mm-hmm. in it. And that should be scary to us to think, you know, I mean, God could be asking you to do a small thing of, you know, hey, Tanner, I really appreciate you today. You know, just sending somebody some encouragement or something big. And if you don't try to stay in his will, if you don't try to answer his calls, he'll stop asking you. I mean, and like you said, you know, he's inviting you to be in his will. And so if you choose not to do that, and I think that he'll stop asking you to do things. I mean, if he knows I've asked him to do four things and they've been small things to do and he's not done them. So I'm gonna find somebody else that will. And, you know, and you can get back into that, but mm-hmm. that should be a scary thing for us. I mean, and that, that's why I think obedience is so important. Well, in Revelation, it says that Jesus stands at the door and knocks. And, you know, he's talking about justification and salvation. You know, I want to enter into your life and be the king of your life. But he's also, I think that same call is within a call to ministry, any any form of ministry, mm-hmm. either be missions or singing. And if you if he knocks too many times, I mean, he's a loving God. He's not going to kick down the door and force himself in. He'll He'll walk away if you're not wanting to answer the door. And so God doesn't have to use us. And I think that's one thing, like, when, when the Lord called me to preach, and, and, you know, I was kind of running from him a little bit, and he said, you know, I'm going to, if you don't answer me, I'm going to stop. He didn't have to use me, but he wants to use me. And so I think, you know, Anthony, he don't have to use you as a welder, but he wants to use you, and because he wants you to be within his will, he'll bless you right. for that. So I think that's a beautiful picture overall, even within the context of uh salvation of Jesus coming. He didn't have to come and save us, but guess what? He chose to. He wanted to. He wanted to redeem the world through his son, Jesus. He didn't have to, but he wanted to. He didn't have to create the earth and and creation and us and everything within it, but he wanted to because he wanted to have a relationship with it. And so I think that's very beautiful that, you know, God doesn't have to do these things, but he does because he wants a relationship. God's a relational relationship type of guy. And so I think that that's a beautiful thing when it comes to missions is that you're building that relationship back. So, uh, you know, we talked about, you know, missional call in Isaiah 6. Now we get to the big meaty part. Uh, Matthew, would you read Matthew chapter Absolutely. 28, verses 19 and 20? Uh, so this is one of the, I'd say it's definitely one of the most popular verses the key. when it comes to talk about mission work because this is the Great Commission. Uh, and I'm going to read a little more than what's topped out here because it's Do got it. an entire little section of it. it to it. But this is coming out of Matthew chapter 28. I'm going to read verses 16 through 20. It says, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. 
When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's one of those verses that it, it's almost difficult to elaborate on because I feel like I'm not going to do any justice because I've heard mm. so many sermons and such um, about that. But I think one of the big things, well, not one of the big things, four of the big things in here, and you haven't topped out, which is very convenient because <laughs> that makes it a lot easier on me. Uh, but the, it's a four-action command that's given here because, again, so many sermons have been preached on this. So we've talked about it in the past, you and I, Tanner, have talked about how, um, like in Genesis, some of it just kind of gets washed over because you just you're told mm-hmm. it a lot growing up. Like you're told these these stories in the Bible, uh, they're very specific stories. We all we all know the, the common ones. We've gone over it before, so we'll just leave that for that. Um, but these stories they just get nailed in your head, and as a result, you never really go over them with that fine tooth comb of like Christian maturity later on. Like Genesis, you you just think to yourself, okay, that, that's the creation story. I know that. Or Samson, that's the story of the guy that could beat up armies with his bare hands. Cool, that that that's awesome. But if you go back with a more mature mind, you can pick more out of it. So I think this verse kind of falls victim to the same thing. I mean, to me personally, at least. I don't know if that goes beyond me. Um, but it's just one of those verses that I've heard so many times that I don't really think about it that hard now. I think Tom Rainer, he says that the Great Commission has become the great omission. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, And I think the church has forgotten what it was. And I think a lot of it has to do with comfortability. I think we've become too comfortable in our comfortability. And I think the, one of the good things about going on a mission field is to get out of that comfort zone and kind of see a different mindset. You can get to look at it at a different lens. And I think that's one thing I encourage everyone to at least go to some some form of mission. You don't have to go out into a different country. You can go backwoods, Utah. That's, I don't know, just random place, you know? I mean, ho-dunk place, you know? Uh, but, I mean, I think that's that's important to kind of maybe change your view a little bit. Yeah. And I don't mean to stall too much with that background there, so Do I'll it. get to the, to the four-action command here. I mean, just dissecting those last two verses, uh, verses 19 and 20, says go and make disciples, which I mean making disciples, that's that's the result of proclaiming the gospel. Like you're, you're turning people onto Christ so hard that like they, they want to get up and do the same thing that you're doing, like that passion you're lighting a fire mm-hmm. um, in their soul. Um, and then it talks about baptizing them, which baptizing is something that, and this is a whole other potential series right here, but baptizing kind of gets a bad name, I think, outside of the faith at least. I mean, obviously everyone at this table, mm-hmm. we have a pretty good respect for that. Um, but it's so much treated as just something that, that you're supposed to do. A ritual. Like, oh, you got saved? Well, baptism's next week, bud. Get your swimsuit ready. Like, that's more or less how we treat it. When I mean, baptizing is such, I mean, that that's a commitment right there because getting saved is like step one. Like you don't know anything. Like w- once you get off your knees from that salvation prayer, like you, you know, you're about to get into something, but you're pretty ignorant. And I mean, that's, that's perfectly fine. I mean, that's not a bad thing. Don't, don't think that I'm saying that one bit, but like baptism, like that, that's another voluntary action. That's you saying, Hey, I've, I've grasped some concepts here. I'm taking this seriously. Like God's got a hold of my life and I'm loving it. And I want to make this, this further declaration of I'm all in. And I mean, mm-hmm. Paul had plenty of words to say about what baptism uh, means symbolically. So, I mean, that we can leave that in the scripture there. Um, there's nothing I can really say beyond that that he hasn't said. Uh, but baptizing like that, that's a big deal because that's not so much uh, a you action as being the one that's baptizing them. It's an act, 
it says something about the person that you've discipled to that like they're taking this seriously and that they want to uh, make that outward showing of faith. Well, that's what like we had a baptism a couple of weeks ago, and I th- I think that's very important to be baptized because that's that's showing the world like okay I'm taking this seriously. Yeah. You know I'm taking this faith thing legit, mm-hmm. legitly. Is that a word? And I think that because we do it in front of our brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. other believers. That places accountability upon them. Ooh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because when you are baptized, you are publicly showing the commitment that you've made between you and God. You're letting the rest of the world know that. And that's a good thing in many ways. And one of the main things, I believe, is so you can be held accountable. And with that baptizing, that's just step two. The The third action that's mentioned within those verses uh, talks about teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. Teaching them. Now, teaching is, I mean, it's a skill that, that can make you money in, in, today's day, uh, in today's age. So it's easy to look at that and be like, oh, well, that, that's a specific calling. And while there are certain people in the church that do have like that legitimate calling, like, oh, hey, you're going to be a teacher in the church, that doesn't mean that not anyone can do it. I mean, obviously, it has to be taken seriously. But teaching is something that you're called to do as a Christian. I mean, that's just part of discipleship, being able to teach people about the, uh, about the Word, being so well-versed in Scripture that you're able to, to convey it to others in a way that they can understand it and plant those seeds. So teaching is another important part of this verse. Here. I would also say teaching can be passive. You know, talk about active teaching, like, you oh, know, yeah. here, here we are, let me write these words on the, on, the, on the board and we can learn. But passive teaching... I mean, I'm teaching my son passively to love like Christ by loving him. And so you can teach by not really teaching. So you're setting yourself as an example. And I think mission, mission, missional-minded and answering the call in any form or manner is a way of teaching, passive or active. Yeah. Uh, and the last um, command that's given in this is so easy to brush over. I think it, it would be really easy to make this a three-action command rather than a four because this last one is very subtle and yet can easily be treated as the most important uh, of all the commands. And that command is to remember Jesus. That last part of verse 20 saying, and remember I'm with you always to the end of the age. Because to me personally, that is Christ putting the ball in our court Mm -hmm. when it comes to like what we're going to do after like he's done his work and has ascended. Like he, he's letting us know like, all right, bud, I've I've done steps one through like 150 here. Like you think you got step 151? (laughs) It's up to us. To, to take this scripture, to take this experience, and uh, to take this unity that Christ gives us and remember that he's still there when things get difficult, when things don't really make sense. Because you got to keep in mind, after Jesus ascended, it was pretty quick that even his followers were just like, well, now what? Like, they're still tripping up, but now Jesus isn't walking right next to them, ready to slap on the hand and be like, no, bad Peter, do 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 this other thing. Don't don't do what you're doing right now. Like the again, the ball was in their court. They had to be able to have that accountability for themselves. Remember Jesus' teachings and apply it to their lives actively. It puts more responsibility on them as people. So remembering Jesus is um, it's very easy to just treat that as not even a command. It's just something that's kind of tacked on the end of that. But like oh yeah, and remember Jesus. But I mean that's crucial to be able to take it beyond step one. I guess. I think you can forget about Jesus on missions. You can get so tied down and focused upon what you're there to do oh, yeah. like I, I remember when we went last time we were building benches and stuff like that or at least when I went, when we went as a group you get so focused on doing the bench work that you forget okay so why am I doing this and you get so tied up in the work that you forget okay who is this for why am I doing this why am I here 
and I think you would, I think, Anthony, I think you've told me this one time that there was the first time that you went that you left and you kind of weren't in a, in a good place. You kind of didn't, uh, uh, and you left like, well, why did I go? You know, it's like I didn't really get anything out of it. I think, you know, when I went, I knew that God was calling me to go. So I did go. And after I left, I thought, well, why was I even there? You know, mm-hmm. but really it was ministering more to me than I was to them. I had these expectations of I'm going to go there and change something. Hmm. The Lord is going to have me change someone's life when it really it was changing my life. Oh, that's good. That's good. I like that. Yeah, which, I mean, personally, I can relate to that, too. I mean, I don't have any, like, out-of-the-states mission work under my belt. Hey, you got missions, bro. Yeah. I mean, I've, you're you're I've, called a mission, yeah. home mission or external. You're good. Because I've been on one trip to, to New York, like, what was it, junior, senior year of high school or something like that. And, like, me personally, I haven't even received, like, a legitimate call to, like, do mission work. Like, I, I haven't re- received that formal call to missions. I mean, that's fine by me. Like, I, I've pretty consistently just been a yes man within the church. <laughs> like, hey, you want to do this? Yeah, sure. Hey, you, you want to do this? Yeah, why not? Um, and that's, I mean, that's worked to my advantage quite a bit. I mean, I've been blessed by plenty of experiences through just having that attitude. So when the opportunity came to go to New York for a mission trip, I was like, oh, sweet, hey, a trip to New York, that sounds fun. So, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that, like, my heart was in the right place in the beginning because mm-hmm. I was just thinking, oh, hey, I get to go to New York. That's cool. I think that's our mindset, too. We, yeah. Oh, we're going out of the country. Yeah. This is cool. <laughs> field trip. I've never been on the plane. Um, but going on it and realizing, oh, man, I actually have to do work when we get there. Because, <laughs> like, I mean, it, it wasn't an easy trip. We did, like, some legitimate down and dirty work. Like, I remember um, one situation we got in. We were, like, cleaning refrigerators and kitchens. For and refugees in Buffalo. Refuge- yeah, mm-hmm. something like that. I, I, I don't even remember what the purpose was. I just remember doing it. Cleaning refrigerators? Yeah, and I remember at one point uh, I saw this like calendar that was tacked to a wall, and I think Julia actually asked you, I was like, what, what's up with this uh, calendar? It's got all these weird, like oddly specific times, like 12.02 a.m. or something like that. And you looked at it like, that's a, a Muslim prayer schedule. <laughs> like, oh! oh. <laughs> like, and it, just stuff like that, it, it kind of gave me that little hit of reality, and for that reason and plenty of others, I do credit that New York trip with giving me um, the much-needed motivation to take Christ seriously. Because from then, I was just kind of like skating by, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to church. And I have friends at church that I talk to, so I mean, that's cool. But I didn't really take it beyond that. But that mission trip to New York really, it helped me open up my eyes to, like, I mean, I guess it didn't click at the time. Like, hindsight's twenty twenty. I guess. Um, it really brought me into into the fold like unity was it helped me recognize what i'm really a part of and why i'm a part of that well that call that mission will call either be uh, going to haiti or preaching uh, no matter what kind of realm that spectrum of, of call to a mission it, the the same call applies and i think that you know uh, mark sixteen fifteen it says to preach the good news to all creation and so there's a proclamation you need to proclaim and so when we proclaim is to herald and, you know, you herald, your preachers heralding stuff all the time, uh, preaching the word, you know, giving a proclamation. But yet you're also giving a proclamation by the way that we live. So, I mean, a mission is living a Christ-filled life. And so uh, back to the book of, you know, what uh, is the mission of the church by Kevin uh, DeYoung, he says that 
we should proclaim the good news to the poor. We should proclaim freedom to the captives. We should proclaim recovery of the sight of the blind. We should proclaim liberty to the oppressed. And we should proclaim the age of the King Jesus. And so I think this is important that we need to focus on these things that either, like I said, passive or active, the way that we proclaim it, by the way that we live or by what we say, that this mission call, this mission duty is to every one of us through preaching, teaching, singing, or whatever. But missions, as in, in to Haiti, I think is a, is a vital key ingredient. I think it's good to be plugged into uh, global missions. I think it's very important because I think that's a good way to be in touch with those outside of the local body. I feel like we, we could benefit from get back into the Word. I love Scripture, so let's get back into Scripture. We've got like six dozen more to go through. Just kidding. But uh, So in John chapter 20, uh, starting in verse 19, we have Jesus talking with his disciples. And I think a lot of times you read through Scripture and the dialogue between Jesus and the disciples, I think there's sometimes where the disciples were somewhat scared or terrified by what Christ is asking them to do. Sometimes the teachings that he says is very difficult and hard to understand. And the disciples, I'm sure sometimes they would be like, I'm not sure, like, what is he asking? This is a hard thing to learn. And there, there was one time that says, you know, a, a lot departed from Christ because he taught something hard. And Jesus asked the disciples, are y'all going to leave too? So here I think this is important too because the call that or the th- teachings and the things that Jesus talks to us can be difficult. And there's times that we're like, okay, Christ, are you sure this is what you want me to do? And it's terrifying. So in John chapter 20, uh, verse 19, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled, for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. So they're scared because Jesus has died, and we're afraid that the Jews are going to kill us. And so... Jesus, poof, he, he appears in the midst of them and says, Peace be with you. Um, when, he said, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, the places where he was pierced. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So that Jesus showed them the proof. He's like, I'm here. I'm physically here in flesh. So Jesus said it to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. So he's making a command here. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they retained. So, Matthew, break it down and give us some some more clarification there. Well, I personally wouldn't recommend that we breathe on people at the moment. (laughs) Just to keep things. Amidst the the corona. Uh, But uh, when you're reading that, that kind of makes me, because my brain likes to go to, to humor, personally, whenever I'm uh, reading scripture, especially when it refers to Jesus, because in my, in my head, I really like to view Jesus as, like, super sarcastic, because you got to keep in mind, this, this is God in the flesh, like, an omniscient being hanging around, I mean, very stupid by comparison people. I mean, a lot of them were just stupid in general. Rednecks. I, I can see them as rednecks. I mean, I mean, more or less. I mean, even his disciples <laughs> were very lacking quite, quite a lot. And of course, if you put yourself in the disciple's shoes, you can. Come I'm a redneck too. Why did Jesus call me to do the things? That I'm a redneck. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a fisherman just like anyone else. Yeah, 
but it's easy to kind of have sympathy for the disciples at times, like understanding like why they're ignorant about a bunch of stuff. Because I mean, again, Jesus has given them like this call that you wouldn't be able to possibly comprehend in a million years. Uh, but still, again, like to view Jesus as a very sarcastic guy. So just imagining him like popping up in front of them and be like, peace be with you. Like you got to be thinking like Jesus knew what kind of effect that was going to have on people. And like, he's like, I'm about to, I'm about to ruin these guys day or really throw them off. Something like that. Like whenever he talks to the Pharisees, but that's um, a different story. Um, but him like taking that effort to show the, the hands in the side, like Jesus being willing to go that extra mile. Uh, again, that just goes back to him kind of lowering himself to our standards being like, okay, I gotta, gotta, gotta cater to, to these lesser beings, uh, in a way. Um, which of course him wanting to have that relationship, like, you, you know, that that's done in love, but I, I still see kind of the, the sarcasm in the action itself. Um, but getting down to the actual meat of the matter in verses 21 and 23, kind of skip over 22 a bit. When he's saying, peace, uh, peace to you as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And then verse 23 saying, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. So this seems like another example of Jesus putting the ball in our court. Like he's given some responsibility to us because I mean, Jesus has been doing a lot of the heavy lifting since he got to earth. Now it's kind of the purpose of him being there. Like he's pulling off all these miracles. He's got to die and rise again. Like he's doing some pretty intense stuff. Uh, but he's he's giving some authority to his people to to minister on his behalf. Like when he's gone, he's putting putting ball in their court. I think that's the fourth time I said that. I'm gonna have to stop using that phrase. Um, but it's him kind of transferring, um, not necessarily his power, but he's he's transferring responsibility, saying, "Listen, you guys have this this mission minded um, purpose that I'm giving you. Like through the Holy Spirit, I'm going to give you this authority uh, to do these things in my name." So. There's kind of a, an essence of protection, I think, that he's given to us. Like, he wouldn't give us that sort of authority, that sort of purpose, if he wasn't prepared to help us go through, like, the, the trials and tribulations that would come with that. So I think there is sort of an implied security offered through that command. Like, listen, you need to do these things that I've been doing. So this this pretty intense stuff. I'm putting, putting responsibility on you, but I'm going to protect you through this. And, of course, in the Acts, he goes further in depth on how he's going to uh, bless us through that. But I don't know, that's, that felt a little bit like word vomit, so I don't know if that got any good meaning. But <laughs> So talking about that security that kind of is implied through um, the command, the responsibility he's given to us, that kind of lends into the question uh, to Julian, Anthony, and hey, Tanner, if you want to answer too. Uh, what kind of peace does it give you knowing that the Father who sent Jesus to defeat death, hell, and the grave also sends you to bring unity? So like that, that responsibility that he gives you, there is a little bit of security um, in that promise. Like what kind of peace does that give you and why? I mean, I would say unity is very important to Jesus. So if he's given you that calling, he's going to be there with you. So I would say that the peace comes from just knowing that he's not going to give you something and then just leave you and run away with it. Well, I think Jesus, he says, I, when I leave, I, I, will, I will not be gone because I will leave a comforter with you. And so, and I think that, I mean, the, the disciples have a right to be scared because, I mean, Jesus currently isn't with them and they think that he's dead. I mean, just think about it. You be with this man with the, that, that he's the son of God and you've seen all these miracles happen in the three and a half years of his ministry and you've seen miraculous things and all of a sudden, He's dead. 
and you're his followers. I mean, you're they're, you're thinking, oh, they're gunning for me next. I'd be terrified. There is no peace in that. And there is the, at that time, Jesus is not with them until he appears to them and says, okay, don't be scared. And when he ascends into the when he ascends to heaven, he says, you know, I'm I'm going to leave a comforter with you. So don't be afraid. I'll give you the words to say. I'll give you the uh, call to do. So all these things that you may have not any idea that what to do or what to say, I want to give you. I'm going to give you those tools to do. And so I think it's important to not get so hung up on our um, weaknesses and saying that my weakness is going to uh, cripple his, the ministry. Uh, like like I said, Timothy earlier, Timothy, you know, he thought, okay, well, my age, that's a, I'm too young to do what God's called me to do. That's a lie. You know, I think a lot of times we talked earlier about, you know, ageism in the church. That's, that's, a, that's a, uh, a thing that I think is difficult to bridge the gap between the older and the, and the younger generation. And a lot of the older generation see themselves like, I'm too old, I can't do nothing. Well, that's a lie too. So, I mean, I, I believe the Lord is a comforter and gives the tools no matter what time frame in your life is. And so the call to missions or the call to whatever, to do the mission of God, it can change. You know, I, I may be called to preach now, but like what would happen if, uh, you know, something happened, I lost my voice and, you know, I had some kind of weird disease at took away my windpipes. I'd, some people would get a blessing out of that. and uh, But I would find God would make a way to be, to me to minister in a different facet, in a different way. Uh, How many preachers out there do sign language? I don't know sign language. I have to learn it. Lacey knows AC, uh, ASL. Really? A little. A little. I know Ann Manginelli does too. Mm-hmm. So, hey, Ooh, sign language. That might be I mean, interesting. That might sound like a joke, but I was being serious. No, it's legit. Like, no, it's legit. Like, I, I agree. If there are any preachers I agree. out there that are doing their thing while. Dude, hey, yeah, we could have I some mean, sign language. It's hard to mimic it without just mocking it, but. Well, I, yeah, that's true. Yeah. I think Lacey's teaching Judah some sign language, so. Really? Yeah, he knows more. He knows more. He knows. Thank you, peace. Prime content for an audio-only format. Yeah. <laughs> um, Doing hand signs into the microphone. Y'all know what sign language looks like, so. Yeah. Do the what? Do they? <laughs> <laughs> it's quite the assumption. Um, I guess we'll take a quick break. Personally, I need water.